Hey guys, just a uh, an important preamble to this week's uh, podcast episode with a very important guest, uh, Hugh McCutcheon. Uh, that name may sound familiar to many of you volleyball fans out there. Uh, if you are going to watch any episode of Volleyballology Uncensored, we hope it's this one because uh, Hugh McCutcheon is uh, not only a legendary uh, coach and player, uh, he played for the national team of New Zealand before coming back to the United States playing collegiate ball because he had some years of eligibility here. Um, he went on to coach the U.S. men's national team where he was able to capture a gold medal as a coach in 2008 in the Beijing Olympics against great odds. And uh, they were not a favorite team to win, so it was quite an accomplishment. Uh, he later won the gold medal, oh, sorry, the silver medal with the uh, women's national team. Uh, very rare for a coach to do that. Only uh, coach in U.S. Uh, in U.S. Olympic history, uh, volleyball history to do that. Only three coaches ever who have transitioned to do both teams. Uh, where, and they captured the silver medal in the 2012 uh, London Olympics. So, uh, But more importantly, Hugh McCutcheon over the past few years has, uh, because of his kids' involvement in youth sports, felt that something needed to be done with regards to coaching. Now, this is where our paths crossed. Uh, volleyballology, as you may or may not know, uh, our mission is to really help uh, improve youth coaching uh, in the world, um, around the United States, Canada, and Europe. We, we feel that there's a gap between what high-level players and coaches do or believe or behave and what's happening at the youth levels. And Hugh McCutcheon has that same message for coaches. And he he's hoping that he can, um, uh, in his latest book, which we talk about on the, uh, on the episodes called Championship Behaviors, uh, we really recommend that every parent, uh, player, coach get a copy of this book. Uh, we're not you know, being paid to say this, but Hugh's book, it uses uh, real rigor and real research to have um, coaches understand especially uh, the value of sport, what it's really for, and how to get the most out of your players anyway. A lot of times people um, think that winning has to be cutthroat cold. And Hugh makes a good point through research, psychological research and behavior research that um, that's actually not the case. And then he also brings his own uh, experience as a coach to the table without telling coaches what they should do or shouldn't do. He just basically presents a lot of information uh, through his vast uh, knowledge and experience. And most interestingly for us, before we send you into this episode, is Hugh... Uh, recently decided to step away from his uh, coaching duties. He's the head coach of the University of Minnesota. And the idea was that he was going to pursue a more holistic approach for all coaches at the University of Minnesota. So his book and writing this book about, again, called Championship Behaviors, um, it really caught the eye of the athletic director at the school, and they wanted to create a position where Hugh could not just help volleyball coaches, but coaches in general. Um, again, Hugh's children got involved in youth sports, and he that's where he noticed, like, like myself personally, uh, the difference between the mindset of a lot of club and youth sport coaches. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. It really means a lot to us. And please, if you do, if you do watch this episode, can you please uh, do us a huge favor and subscribe to our channel? Uh, it actually means a lot to the people that help us put the show on. And it also um, helps us improve the guest quality because we are, you know, talking with some big names in the sport uh, and we really want to hear their voices and help, you know, have their voices help us on our mission to improve volleyball for everybody, for coaches, players, and parents. So, so please hit that subscribe button. It would mean the world to us. And please, uh, with no further ado, please enjoy this episode with uh, Mr. Hugh McCutcheon. What's the big idea? Uh, 
well, um, so again, I just want to say, uh, Hugh, that we started this project, uh, Volleyball G, in 2022, just about six months ago, seven months ago, it feels, maybe maybe coming up on a year. It actually. is getting close. Yeah, to year, uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. and when we, when we um, saw you uh, in terms of... Um, what you were doing, I saw your TEDx talk in Fargo and I was like, mm. it just hit me right to the core because it's the same thing that I saw. Uh, it's the same sort of, um, sort of, uh, journey. I, I mean, my, my, like I played professionally, not anywhere near your level, a coach, not anywhere near your level, but then my children went into varsity or sorry, clubs, club sports. And, you know, we saw a couple coaches and I thought, okay, maybe it's just some individuals, um, and the parents and the mindset of that world. Um, and then when I saw your Ted talk, I was like that, it, it just aligned so perfectly with why we started this project. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, your book further, like when I, when I got your book, I was like, man, everything you say in that book, we're just nodding our heads. <laughs> it's like, and we're like, uh, thank God, but we're All so right. grateful that you as a, um, a prominent voice had the, it, it's really is courage to, uh, yeah. to say and address these things. Cause that's one of the things we, we found with people, uh, who are, who commented on things we were doing and people who reached out to us that they couldn't say the things that you were, you were saying, or we were saying, um, mm. because they're working in the trenches with people. Right. Right. So just, well, well uh, yeah, I, I'm glad it resonated. Um, and, yeah, I'm not sure if I was trying to be courageous. I just wanted to be a voice of reason in amongst all of this, given, you know, as I said, there's such a lack of academic rigor around coaching as a profession um, or even guidelines about how that should work. And given that it's so tradition-based, I thought being able to reconcile some of the spaces around what what the research is in, in this area of achievement and best practice and how that applies to the day-to-day and what we know or what we find is that it's it's scalable and transferable to to any level and so um like you i I was seeing uh you know questionable coaching practices at at (laughs) at all levels and so i thought maybe there's a chance to to fill that space with some some best practice knowledge versus uh some opinions you know Mm mm-hmm and did you did you see that um, like how far up did you see those issues? Uh, I know the transition you had to to Minnesota after yeah. your national team. I mean, I think the issue is people really confuse national team and professional sports with what they're doing in their local club, even all the way up to their colleges. Is that, would you say that's a fair assessment? Oh, I think it's absolutely fair. And and again, to that idea that um, that somehow coaching is the X's and O's it's, I mean, that's a small, small part of what we do and, and teaching should be the majority of it. And mm. if we're, if we're in youth sport, then it should be almost all of it. So to that end, you know, we, we watch the NBA finals and see some great play that they drew up and we try to apply that to our 12 and under basketball <laughs> team. Well, it's probably not going to work out great, but, but we think we're coaching cause we're like, well, we just saw, you know, that Miami heat do it. So, you know, that, yeah. that clearly must be what, what's required. Um, you know, oftentimes it's not. Could we could we like just point out the the difference um, between like coaching and and teaching? Like even, I think I, I get it. Like, but even you know, for for anyone watching who may not, um, mm. you know, sure, yeah. I mean, to me, the 
the coaching piece is the X's and O's. It's, um, you know, substitutions and timeouts and uh, game planning and strategy, some of that stuff. Uh, you know, that, that stuff's kind of at the end of your, of your week. That's what you're doing on the weekend. But for the other five days, uh, you should be in there teaching where teaching is, um, not just skill acquisition, trying to improve the fundamentals and and all of that, but it might also be system acquisition and it should be uh, application of both of those two things. And I think, again, when I was going through this, this process, that idea that, that skill acquisition and skill application are, connected but oftentimes we get wrapped up just in skill acquisition we don't really spend enough time working on the application of it was another element to the book that i really wanted to add or 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 reconcile for people yeah and i mean just getting to the book i mean uh, championship behaviors it's uh it's so impressive and so thorough in all the categories it hits like i was like uh when i was reading it i was so impressed with the amount of work can you talk a little bit about the process and like how long did it take you to pull this together? Because I don't think I've read anything. I mean, especially in, in the world of volleyball, I love how it's you know it, it's basically transferable to all things. Like I'm a I'm a business owner too, and I taught for 20 years, and uh, mm-hmm. I found it transferable to all walks of life. But I love the the, the emphasis on volleyball. Uh, how long of a process did it take you to pull that together? Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm glad you liked it. it. It's a sports book, as you said. It it just happens that my my experiences were in volleyball. So it seemed, yeah. I, even though I draw from different sports, uh, for examples, throughout the, throughout the book, um, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that I could speak to directly was connected to my, to my volleyball experiences. But um, yeah, I was, I was interested in putting it together. I think over the years, um, people had, had approached me at different times about possibly putting a book together. And, and every time they would talk to me, I was, uh, no I mean, way, eh? that's cool. great, flattered, but I was like, well, yeah. what, I, I don't even know what I'm going to write about. Yeah. Um, but but as as time went on, and certainly, you know, we we're speaking to these experiences um, through youth sport and, and our children, but also just learning more um, and seeing more from all the different lenses that I've had the, the privilege of uh, seeing our sport through, you know, uh, international men and international women, collegiate men, collegiate women. Uh, professional men, and and seeing uh, that there was, uh, at least in my experience, th- there were a lot of guiding principles that were the same with all of these different campaigns, with all of these different teams. Uh, their application was was quite different um, based on on the different groups, um, but because of of coaching all these different groups and having similar levels of outcome success, it felt like there was some some stuff there, you know, that there was some transfer and some, some applicability to, to sport in general, not just to, to volleyball. I think had I just coached one team for 27 years and, and had success, I mean, that, that's great. Um, and, and maybe there's a story there, but it's hard to say that whatever we were doing in one place for a long time would be transferable to another. But because I'd had the chance to bounce around and work with all these different teams, it felt like I was onto something. So, um, in addition, I got to work with some really great people along the way, and uh, un- unfortunately, uh, uh, m- many of them are no longer with us. Hmm. Um, but yeah. there th- th- felt like there was some legacy elements to it in terms of um, trying to honor their work and and the way that uh, we had 
talked about applying it. So for, for example, Anders Ericsson, right. I was going to yeah. say in yeah. deliberate practice, um, Ken Revisa in, in the sports psych space, mm-hmm. Carl McGowan in the motor learning space, um, you know, all, all giants in their field and, and no longer with us. And, and I had truly the privilege of spending significant amounts of time um, working with them and, and looking at how wow. their areas of expertise applied to what we were doing. So it felt like I, almost I, uh, I, I felt obliged to, mm-hmm. to kind of pay that forward, you know? Yeah, and you were fortunate to have them in, like, practice session. Like, you were yeah. you had your clipboard really? out and doing studies, and, um, I mean, what a privilege yeah. that was for you. We were able to get Anders to come to Minnesota a couple of times, and, you know, he stayed here at the house, and we hung out and, and, That's and so cool. talked. And, and, you know, sport was not his wheelhouse. No, um, no but people, uh, people. Uh, but, he, but he really enjoyed the the academic pursuit and the the question that I would would continually uh, discuss with him was around the ways that deliberate practice as a construct, not as an idea, but, but the construct that he, um, you know, describes in his research, how that applies to the more complicated skills and systems that we find in sport, Uh, because all of his research was in very controlled environments, such as mathematics or music or memorization where, you know the 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 relationship between the amount of work and and the return in terms of outcome was very linear. You know, if I work hard playing the violin, I get better, and therefore I feel better because I'm a better violinist. Mm-hmm. Um, in in volleyball, <laughs> I might show up at practice first and leave last every day, and it doesn't mean I'm going to play. It doesn't mean I'm going to uh, win. Uh, it, it doesn't guarantee anything. So so that relationship was more nebulous, mm-hmm. and so being able to talk about how to build cu- cultures and systems that supported the amount of work that deliberate practice requires was, was a big part of all of those conversations. Yeah. And so like, if you were to, do you know, I mean, would you say that this work, like how, how long was it between the initiation of the book to the completion? Mm. Right. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's sorry, a, that's okay. a bit of a You know what? You there. talk about whatever you want here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really. Uh, well, no, so we put together the uh, a proposal and um, and that was accepted. It, it it was a good framework. It had some good bones, but just due to the nature of of collegiate coaching and at the time, um, you know, in twenty twenty one, we were still in the throes of COVID and right. and uh, we had we ended up having back to back seasons that year. So I think you know our fall season of twenty twenty right. got pushed into the yep. into the winter. Uh, then we went again in the fall and then in between we had uh, recruiting and camp. And so I had this proposal kind of squared away mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a contract to, to okay, we're going to write a book. Great. Um, but it ended up that the window <laughs> that I was afforded was kind of this two Crazy. month chunk. Oh, wow. Uh, from about the middle of January to the middle of March. Um, and like I said, I, I had good bones, but. Um, it was very intense. So, you know, every morning I was getting up at five in the morning and I'd sit here with my cup of coffee and have a crack at it. Wow. And, and I'm not sure, I don't say that other than like, that's how it went down. But the, I, I think the, the thing that was quite cool about it was it was so intense. And when I pushed sand, like it, I had to get it to them <laughs> on the 15th of March. And I pushed, I, I kid you not, I pushed sand at 6 PM on the 14th. Oh boy. Um, but but I was so sick oh, of it, you know. Like yes. I didn't even want to oh, look at the thing. Right. Um, uh, but but it, 
also because it was so intense, th there were all of these really cool connections and it was very creative and, and uncomfortable and all of that stuff. But it was this really kind of rich couple of months, 60 mm -hmm. days or whatever it was. And, um, and yeah, and then I pushed sand and it ended up being pretty good. And, and we didn't have to edit it too much. We didn't have to do much to it. So, awesome. oh, wow. So, wow. Uh, worked so out great. It's funny because yeah. eh, I, I bet you applied a lot of the principles as you were writing this book. You were probably like, well, I, I could go back and fix this. I could go back and fix that. Yeah. The, right? Like you had yeah. to put your, your uh, I mean, you already had that, obviously, based on your resume and what you've done and experiences. You said varied. But did you have any, like after sending it, was there ever this hesitation? Like, I can almost imagine. I get, I get that way before I send an email, let alone. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, um, so I, yeah, I pushed sand and I would, like I said, I was sick of it. You're right. And I, I would say six weeks later, um, we were traveling to uh, play a spring game uh, down in Iowa. And uh, I had a, I do a little bit of um, speaking to, to, some companies and corporations and stuff. And, and I had a, uh, an engagement in May and this was towards the end of April it would have been one of our last spring matches. Um, and so I knew this was coming up and I had a four hour bus trip. So I was like, well, I, maybe I should crack it open and, and have a look <laughs> um, and, and get ready for this, for this, this speaking thing. So anyway, I, 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 I opened it up and I gave it a read and, um, and then at the end, I was like, you know what? That, that's not too bad. I, I stand by that. So, uh, that's good. That's good. So to me, that was the ultimate litmus oh, test right, right. <laughs> Well, so many, I mean, it's funny because so many authors, like you You mentioned this in your book too, and I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about it too, like the you know, the 10,000 hours thing that he kind of now revisits and looks back on and says like, you know. As, as he should. Yeah, as he should, should, as we all should, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's sort of interesting because yeah. right? what you just said, like looking back on your work and seeing if you still stood by it, it's it's sort of uh, connected yeah. to coaching and and this practice of reflection that is uh sadly uncommon like i remember in my teacher's college training i remember like, the idea of reflection was built into everything and getting students mm. to reflect or you know having teachers reflect and you know in the profession so i did it for 20 years i was able to leave it because of my volleyball business after 20 years mm -hmm. and i i found that you know the the reflection was less common now than when i started in teaching and I think that speaks mm. to some things happening societally here. Um, do you find? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I would agree. I would agree. Hmm. And and you know to to and I make this this um, connection in the in the in the book. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the tools that people use for reflection now is this this idea of journaling, which has become quite popular. But but whether you like to write or whether you don't. I'm not sure it matters, but but taking time to reflect, yes. I think, is a really mm. important part of the process. Yeah, and uh, and I think you allude to this a lot in the book too, and we've talked about this on the show. I think uh, one of the biggest problems, I think, going back to coaches, and we we also try to bring parents into what we're doing here a lot because I noticed that in the club world too, where you know the mm. parents are so influential in what their kids are expecting or dreaming about, uh, or un just their relationship to sport. Um, is so affected by those parents. So we really are trying to get parents in, involved in this process as well. But um, mm. do you think that, um, is it is it very difficult to um, get people to adopt or open up their minds? Like, you know, you talked about fixed mindset, growth mindset. Do you ever feel that when you're doing these sorts of um, papers or books and research that the people reading it are already of the mindset? <laughs> 
because they're the ones right. who will open up are, the book. Are you preaching to the choir? Are, yeah. yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. And, and well, how do we battle, um, how do we battle that? I guess is the. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that's not the case. Although I understand that probably in terms of the the word of mouth uh, side of things, it, it it would probably tend to be more popular with with like minded people or 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 at least open minded people. What I'm asking, um, Hugh, Hugh, I'm asking, can you turn this into a TikTok? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, but where, where I was going with it, though, is I think uh, because so much of coaching or so much of all of this, you know, even the, the we, we talk a little bit about the whole sport industrial complex, so much of it is yeah. based in tradition. Hmm. Uh, and, and I was just trying to apply some reason and some logic to it all. And, and here's the research and here's how you can how, how you can use it. So even if it gives people tools to have informed conversations mm -hmm. around what's going on, I think that's a win. I mean, whether the people read the book or not, don't read the book. Right. Uh, okay. Um, but if, if you read it and you're like, Hey, this affords me a, a segue into a conversation with someone that maybe isn't principally aligned, but they might at least be open to hearing about this. Right. Um, because again, it's, it's, it's it's not necessarily this idea of like hey right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like hey if you really want to be good at this idea of teaching and coaching, this is it. I mean, as in like here are the principles that should be driving a lot of your methods. It's not supposed to be the definitive work, but at least here's a construct that you know from from the inception of your goal to the moment of achievement, you can have guiding principles through that whole process. Uh, versus feeling like you've got to, you know, make it up as you go along, or or do it the way you did it when you were an athlete, which you know might be right, but it, but it also, yeah. you know, maybe it's been ten or fifteen years, and there's a lot of best practice research you could be applying. So it's about finding effective and efficient methods to help you achieve the things you want to achieve anyway. Mm -hmm. And you do a great job of separating that, like under, understanding that I'm not telling you what to do, or this is not a uh, you know mm -hmm. sermon here. This is. Uh, he, but here's what's here's what I've done. Here's my journey. And then I think the other amazing thing you do is that's why I can't believe you did this in two months. How did you get those interviews with all of your former players? Yeah, and that, like that was the interviews. Well, awesome. and I yeah, I front loaded that um, uh, over the over the course of the year prior to. So the interviews, the writing, the interviews were we had to clean them up a little bit. We we had the we had the interviews recorded and we had transcripts. Oh, okay, so that was um, like the so, that you so knew. So that was yeah. So it was more like editing and, and making sure it was gotcha. all clean. I was going to say, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was a cleanup. <laughs> but I am glad you liked that. I, I thought that was really important because again, um e even though it, I, I'm writing it, I didn't want it to be a book about like hey, here's, you know, mm. oh, this time we went and played Brazil down in Porto Alegre or whatever and here's this great anecdote. I mean, <laughs> no one really cares about that, right? I mean, yeah. What what I wanted to to talk about was hey here's the research here's the science of achievement it, it it's 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 not too ethereal or it's too scary it's 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 based in logic and it's based in scientific rigor but more importantly here's how it applies as as from my perspective as the coach and then being able to add like hey here's how it was received by the athlete I thought that was an important Huge. part of it because again I'm writing it not just for coaches. But also for athletes and mm. and like you're talking to for parents of of athletes. Yep. 
no, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's again, we'll mention it throughout, but I, I, uh, I highly recommend. I know we don't want to make this too pluggy. I know, but championship beha- <laughs> yeah. championship behaviors. I mean, I highly recommend that we, because we were talking about putting together stuff for parents coaches and players as well and then once we read your book we we're like well forget that because it's already been done it's yeah, <laughs> it's it's really well, it's it, very kind no it hits yeah. on so many things and uh I, mm. I i think that every group of the volleyball community and outside the volleyball community i mean you said you do speaking engagements and things too I, this, this totally has corporate and it's just like you said it's it's wonderfully named championship behaviors and it's not like volleyball behaviors it really is the metaphor for life and all things yeah. you know high achieving and um well, sorry we, eric you got you well we talk about like confidence building a lot on and how important that is for kids nowadays and then you had a just a short little like interview i'm sure you chopped it down like with sarah wilhite and it's a mm. great little story of how when she was first on your team like not like uh athletically skilled but not super confident mm. and just how um, yeah, it was again a short little story, just showing how her confidence grew with your practice methods, and just kind of um, I forget you were there was one point where you're asking, or she was uh, she answered one of your questions, and then you said you were down two sets against the first seated team, and then she said uh, normally in the past she she would have thought oh like we're we're done for now, but then mm-hmm. the uh, after the second set. You guys went back to your team huddle and you just said, hey, let's just play our game and get back to what we do. Mm. And then she said in her mind, she's like, yeah, it just it clicked for me. And, and she said, yes, we can we can do this. I can do this. We're going to go do the things that like we've been practicing. And then sure enough, it uh, it sounded like you went on to, to beat that team. I forget which, uh, which yeah. team it was, but it was really and again, short little part of the book. But like you, I got to see this transformation of an athlete. Uh, into like a, a confident individual so that was all the all the honestly yeah. all the interviews were great in the in the book no sarah in particular is i mean yeah, i agree there there the the amount of honesty and vulnerability that all of those athletes um were able to share in those interviews and and were comfortable sharing um yeah. i was really humbled by uh but but with Sarah in particular, yeah, because it was a struggle, and yet that transformation was so significant in in terms of her ability to play the game. And um, you know, she's still out there battling. I think her team uh, in Japan won the won the V League this year, and she's still out there doing it. So, yeah, oh, it's yeah. a phenomenal story. And to your point, yeah, that 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 match that she references, um, I think all, all of us at some point have been uh, in a situation where it seems daunting or it seems um overwhelming and our natural human tendency of course is negative bias so we tend to amplify the negative and 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 maybe even project into the future our expectation or our, our belief about what might happen or may not happen when the reality of course is that the future is undetermined so finding ways to help people be here be be in the now versus um Worrying too much about the last play or too much about the next one is really important. I, I love that point too, because I wanted to bring it up. Like, there's a couple of things there. Like, your relationship with your players is like so, uh, like, it just to a T defines the mentor mentee 
sort of relationship that you think coaches need to start to develop and i often wondered when i was reading the book like do we it would be nice to just change the word right volleyball mentor uh because that would probably <laughs> ward off it would ward off people going into it for the wrong reasons mm. uh right. until we right. you know until we put it in a movie and the mentor screaming at people anyway but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ho- hollywood eh? i yeah. think there's something you inter- can't handle the truth yeah <laughs> do you think there's a do you think there's a big cultural component because I'm like we're sitting here as a couple Canadians uh mm-hmm. you're New Zealand born Kiwi uh, yeah. through and through I imagine and uh do you think there's something there because I know when we started this project and we started putting out ideas very similar to yours without even knowing that you had started this so we arrived at the same conclusions without even talking to each other and I'm sure there's other people at our levels who have um do you think the pushback is coming from a place like, you know, is it a cultural thing? Do you think that the, I mean, you do mention the capital of capitalism in the United States and coaching and that there's a lot of pushback, right? <laughs> About being the yeah. best, like a friend of ours. I don't know. Uh, he's a high level young coach from Canada. He went down to coach at a, at a club in the States. Uh, that's a private mm. club. And, and he's been telling me like, wow, like we thought we were competitive. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you, do yeah, you it's find a little bit different? Well, well, first of all, um, the idea of uh, of doing it in a in a best practice way with best intention and and all of that and winning th- those things are not mutually exclusive. Yes. Uh, so I think that's really important. In fact, uh, the 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 things that we're describing in the book are designed to give you the best possible chance of achieving the outcome that you hope to achieve. Mm-hmm. But what, what we all need to recognize is that uh, there, are, there are lots of elements in the competitive equation that we can control, and there's lots that we can't. So it's really about focusing on, hey, here's the things that we can do. Here's the things that we can control. And, and these are really easy to say, but it turns out it's, it's really difficult to do. And, and giving people structure and, and uh, methods that afford them the chance to get the most out of every second they've got, that, that's what we're really speaking to. And so this notion of competition, I think, is if you'll afford me the chance to go off on a bit of a tangent. I think this notion of competition is quite misunderstood or at least, I don't know, misunderstood. How about we just say this? I think we've got it a little bit wrong Mm -hmm. in that, um, you know, if you if you look at the the root of the word to compete the the latin and not to make all your listeners fall asleep but, but no, it's hey, we, do it, we do it every with, week <laughs> right uh to strive with it's not to strive against right and so the way we the way we commonly or or within our our cultural narrative of today and the life of comparison the way we strive choose to see competition is kind of this binary all or nothing endeavor where you win you get everything all the resources i lose i get nothing um, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm a loser, kind of thing. And and th- there's a couple of issues I have with that. First of all, I think competition is a really healthy and important thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. because we see it as this all or nothing, and even worse, if we lose, we feel embarrassed or insufficient, uh, or somehow you know that 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 we're not very good, and we have these bad feelings about ourselves. And then we don't even may- maybe we don't compete very much anymore because we just don't want to have that feeling of, of, of insufficiency or whatever we're going to call it. You know what I mean? Right. So there's that part of it. That's an issue. So because we see it as an all or nothing, when people lose, they're less inclined to continue to compete. 
But I want to tell people, and I think this is the reality, that competition is actually a really important part of learning. And there's this social element in competition relative to the, this, this idea within the root of the word to strive with, where your opponent actually can draw out performances from you that you can't generate yourself, right. at least initially. Maybe later in life you can do that. But there was this study done by a, a guy in, in somewhere in New York, I, I think uh, New York Stern University. He was looking at uh, runners. And, and in these long-distance running events, when a, a particular athlete's rival was competing in the same event, these people were running five seconds per kilometer faster than wow. they would have in other races. So that's about eight seconds per mile for our U.S. listeners. But that's a significant shift in performance. And this was like over six years, over a thousand runners. It wasn't like, you know, three people that he just watched on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. Right. There was some rigor to this, to this study. And so I think, great, you know, the, the idea that competition is, is an important part of it, but it's, it's not the achievement. It's about a life of achievement. And competition is a great uh, pathway for that to happen, to continue to learn and improve to get better. But we seldom think of competition as a learning opportunity. Exactly. We tend to think of it as a defining opportunity. Yeah. And do you think... I love hearing this. Yeah. It's so good, right? I, I feel the the negatives of that right now. Like I'm an older athlete getting back into competition. And so I'm like on the fringe of decent competition, but I'm getting my butt kicked. Yeah. And for sure, mm -hmm. you know, I just came off of a loss this past weekend and, and it does hurt. And, and, and I do feel, especially with the whole physical body, you know, having to work so hard to keep it going that sometimes I want to just be like, am I, why, why do I keep playing? But also I, I just love being in, in that environment. So I'm just trying to not let that negative take over because then it'll just drag right. me out of the sport. Right? And Hugh, Eric is, uh, Eric's 36. So do you want to tell him to shut up or should I? Yeah. physical body. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you're struggling now, yeah. hang on. <laughs> Wait till you have to go upstairs with groceries. Oh, and might be a good opportunity to reframe it. Yeah. Um, well, and, and maybe even if we took that, that concept a little further. Uh, so, so, you know, how do I feel about competition? Again, I, I think everyone's thinking it's all or nothing. And I'm saying, hey, it's a chance to learn and get better. Maybe the ultimate expression of this ends up being like, hey, can I compete with myself? You know, if, if, if running with someone, like, I don't know if you've ever been on a run and there's someone ahead of you in the distance and you think you can catch them up, you go a little quicker or, or you're going for a jog and someone blows by you and you're like, <laughs> all of a sudden you, you go a little faster, right? I mean, that's a real thing. But if you can learn to, uh, to draw that out from yourself or to, to do that, I think that's, that's got to be the ultimate form of, of yeah, it's gotta living, be, yeah. living a good life where, yeah, yeah. where like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit better tomorrow. And again, if you'll humor me, what, what, I, what I would suggest is that whether you like it or not, we're all competing. And, and what we're competing against is time. Hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, this whole dear idea that we're supposed to give away our todays for a better tomorrow, well, we're not guaranteed that tomorrow. We're not entitled to that tomorrow. Hmm, right. So we better, we want to have a good tomorrow. Let's have a good today. And, and maybe this idea of competing or, or at least, hey, can I be a bit, little bit better today than I, than I was before? Maybe that's the way to make sure that whenever you get to the finish line, and we never know when that's going to come, but maybe when you get to the finish line, when you take your last breath, you're like, hey, I lived a good life. I, I, I got after it. I, you know, I, I did the best I could with what I had. And, um, 
away we go. Well, and to mm. like to your point too, Hugh, and earlier that story that Eric was talking about from your book, you you do a wonderful job, I think, with athletes, and I think the best coaches do this of removing the variables, the the variables that are not within our control. So mm-hmm. the understanding that uh, you know you can lose this game to a team that's far superior to you, you can lose um, this match. Um, the only thing you really can control is you. And I think that also goes mm. back to why, you know, we talked about you writing this book. Um, you know, you weren't out to change the world. You were out to tell your version of what you think and provide as much information and evidence. Yeah, here, here's and, my experience. And then you can it, sleep yeah. at night, right? Because you, you've done your part uh, in, in, you know, control. you're in charge of you and your message. And that's all you can worry about, right? Yeah. Well, and, and also what I was finding was that there was so much... Uh, almost mysticism around <laughs> coaching methods and what it was. And like somehow there was this magic to it. And yet the only magic is hard work and, and smart work. And that, that's what it's about. Um, so just again, this idea of trying to be a voice of reason in this thing that seems to have gotten um, a little bit clunky. Yeah, that, that was really yeah, it. Clunky, commercialized. Uh, we've, we actually, Eric and I, I was messaging Eric this week cause we've, we've been doing this now for, I think we're 40, 43 episodes in now. And mm. I, I said to Eric, like, are we becoming part of this machine? <laughs> like, are we now an, <laughs> another voice online <laughs> telling everybody how to be better? And I mean, yeah, we're trying to, have. we're trying to come at it from, uh, from the right mindset, like you, you know, very much in line with what you're talking about and we aren't, you know, really commercializing it, um, I just I, sometimes I just worry that there's so much noise in the world that, um, yeah. But I guess I guess we have to, like the voices like yours have to have to speak up too. I, what is it? Jordan Peterson says that line about if we don't speak up, then you leave more room for. I don't want to say the, he uses the word tyrants, but he means in terms of yeah, you do leave more room, I guess, for the voices that. Uh, well, so to get after hearing Hugh talk about like what he thinks of competition i just hope i hope you're going on and i hope you're able to share your story just as you felt somewhat obligated of to pass on the legacy of all those great academics that you worked with that's true you know that i I think in to some degree that compelled you to write the book perhaps and so i can only hope that it was part of it for sure yeah yeah. responsibility almost eh? yeah i just hope you get to yeah keep talking and and sharing your story with with other people other athletes coaches anyone really idiots like us (laughs) (laughs) this is life it transfers into life right yeah yeah well yeah i think the the book resonated with a lot of people on a lot of levels but one of the things that that seemed to keep coming back was this idea of you know the subtitle for the book is um you know a a a framework for competitive excellence in sport and uh, i think that idea of of countering our our popular understanding of of what we think competition is with this idea of competitive excellence really seemed to resonate with people so uh, yeah, maybe and, there's something there. Yeah, and do you think, Hugh, that like there's definitely, I mean, we've seen this trajectory of sports kind of exploding or being really shifted off its path. Of, like traditionally, we talk about this on the show quite a bit too, where sports used to produce a certain, um, it used to be a very honest meritocracy. And I, I always compare mm-hmm. it with, because I've done business and sports, and I always mm-hmm. saw those two areas are, are of as great sort of bastions of truth and honesty in the world. But in the last few years, we've seen sports not producing the same types of people as it did maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I know that's common to romanticize the past and all that. But, but do, you, do you think that 
I mean, it has to be the social media, right? Like, I mean, in terms of that comparison culture uh, mm. for adults and kids, that is just getting those synapses going. And I just feel that the more people are on there, whether it's a young athlete, a parent or a coach, the, the more toxic this comparison thing, this comparison problem is happening and this insecurity that's making them want to win now or live and die with every point that is just like I saw it when I was sitting right. there watching my kids play and parents are coming up to me and saying uh, how are you watching this isn't this driving you crazy and I was like well no I was worse than them at this age like they're I didn't have this system of organized club ball <laughs> uh, you know and they were right. all like they thought right, it was driving right, me right, crazy right. it was driving them crazy because they had never been in the arena uh, and they were not they didn't have that self-esteem, I guess, you know, to understand yeah. that, uh, no, failure is good. And uh, this is all part of yeah. a long story here. Uh, so Anyone I, that's good at anything has made plenty of mistakes. And, and that's that, the reality. Yeah, and that's mm. why, like, I, you know, we want to get more people like you that have had success. Because that's what I find is the magic formula to success. And I've sort of lived it in some areas mm. of my life but especially people and i look to people like you know i'm sort of addicted to shark tank dragon's den those types of show because the mindset they have is very in keeping with the highest level coaches and athletes that i've played with and, mm. and played for and mm. um do you think this I, I guess i guess my question out of all that rant is uh how do you think self-esteem like you know and you, you do allude to it in the book is there a way to get that uh, how do how do parents, coaches, and players get their self esteem high enough, whereas mm. they so they can separate the end result from themselves? Well, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, and oh, if you yeah. if you can think of it, can you tell us so we can sell it? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a few thoughts. I, I don't know if we can string them together into something coherent, but uh, the the reality is that this um, this life of comparison. Uh, and and the anxiety and all the stuff that's going on. I mean, that, that that is some of it is kid to kid, athlete to athlete. Um, but I also think um, parents need to be really conscious of the impressions that they're making on their children. I think oftentimes um, the, the the parents' anxiety is is being pushed onto the child as yes. much as there is between the children. Um. I think parenting is a is a wonderful, uh, difficult, challenging, awesome in every sense of the word endeavor. Um, but the the reality, of course, is that uh, the these children are people. It, it's their journey, their deal. Our job is to help them to to navigate all the inevitable pitfalls as best we can. But we cannot and we should not protect them from all of the frailties of the human condition. The, the reality is this: if if we never let our children get into trouble, they'll never learn how to get out of it. Exactly. And so we have to we have to accept that there's some risk in all of that. I'm not talking about neglectful parenting. I'm talking about worrying about being a kid's parent, not their best friend. Right? Mm -hmm. You want to be the best parent you can be. L let them find their own friends and be best friends with their peers, not their parents, because I, I think that complicates things. But maybe that's a different a different deal. The other thing, part of that is that our children are, again, that their deal, we're trying to do the best we can. But oftentimes I think parents feel like if a kid screws up, that somehow that's a reflection on them. Um, now, I understand under certain conditions that may be the case, but um, th these children are not there to offer 
reflected glory for their parents to bask in. The, the, the children are there to do the best they can. And because, because again, sometimes the parenting gets uh, overly involved and, and I would say overly emotionally invested, making it about the parent versus maybe making it about the kid. Uh, <laughs> think, what what tends to happen is the kid, the kid ends up really uh, not understanding clearly or, or maybe getting a, um, a blurred understanding of what it is, what, what that parent-child relationship is based on. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the mm-hmm. book, one of the things I talk about is like, hey, if, if you know, we're watching my eight and under basketball and little Timmy scores a bucket and his parents cheer and, and, and yeah, celebrate this, his, yeah. him scoring and then he doesn't score and then they, you know, look at the ground or they, or they do something demonstrative and, every you know, day, every day yeah. in the yeah. air or yep. whatever. Yep. So, uh, Oh, mom and dad love, love it when I score, but he's seven years old or eight years old. He doesn't know the difference between he loves me. They love me because I had scored a bucket or they love me because they love me, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's where you can get some super strange codependency yeah, weirdness right. that goes on where, you know, the kids now doing it for parental affection or, or parental acknowledgement or acceptance. Um, and the reality is, as you both can speak to being good at anything is really challenging and it, you need your, your head and your heart and probably your gut, but, but it can, it's gotta be yours. It can't be someone else's. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it for someone else, then at some point, you know, there's resentment, there's burnout. Um, it, it doesn't end well. So I don't know if we, we got yeah. any of that. No, uh, no, no, that was totally figured out, but there, yeah. there's a few thoughts there. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, we keep coming back to the point of self care and maintenance, uh, among parents and coaches, because I think that the more you take care of yourself, uh, the more mentally uh, able you are to support others. If you're, if you're, if yourself is, if your house is not in order, then you're not going to be much of a mentor. Well, and to, to your comment about self-esteem, as a, as a parent, uh, hopefully I can feel good about myself <clears throat> based on my actions and interactions versus waiting for my son or daughter that's, to do something yeah, that makes me that, feel good about that's myself. What we're talking I mean, about. I can feel proud about their achievements or, or you know, the, the homework assignment that they did well or whatever. Hmm. But if, if I'm living through them to seek that validation or to, to get that uh, recognition, then it's probably time for me to get a few hobbies myself or to find yes. ways that I can feel validated for my actions versus trying to project that onto my children. Well, and even the way you said, uh, like I was a teacher for a long time, and the way you said uh, if they do well in a homework assignment or whatever, that means that you're teaching your kids not to be externally validated. Because part of the problem, even as a teacher, I used to teach philosophy, and I would tell the kids all the time, like, you know, every time I give you back an assignment with some sort of, you know, number or letter, it's sort of reinforcing the idea that you're externally validated for about 14 mm. years of your life. <laughs> not, yeah, a, great. not a great system, right? Uh, so I, always, truth, I, yeah. I do tell yeah. that. I'm sure you have that message with your kid. How old are your kids now, Hugh? Uh, 11 and 13. That's what I thought. Yeah, 11 Because th- the first mm. time I heard, so the reason I went to find your TEDx talk on YouTube, if people haven't seen it, they should watch it. What is it, like 16 minutes, Hugh? Uh, 13, 13 minutes. Yeah. 13 minutes. Uh, and, uh, the reason I found it was because, uh, you, the, I read an article saying you were stepping down from your Mm. position at Minnesota. Do you want to talk a little bit about that maybe? And, um, yeah, sure. Happy to. Yeah. yeah, Just what, what role and why, uh, what role you're assuming at the university now? Right. So, 
Um, I coached for a long time. Uh, and what I, the, the goal for me always to try, and I emphasize the word try, that was to try to be number one dad, not number one coach. And, and what I was finding was that uh, within, the, within the structures of college athletics, um, some of the times that had, had previously been a little more protected in terms of, you know, being off, you know, not, not having to, to be a part of, you know, recruiting or, or transfers or, or, uh, you know, whatever it is running the program. Right. Those times were no longer there. And, mm-hmm. uh, so over time you're thinking, well, geez, you know, here's, you know, our son's 13 and five years he's out the door. And, and, uh, it felt like maybe, maybe if I didn't, um, look to pivot now, I never would. And I'm not saying that would have been necessarily bad or good other than to say, right. personally, I would have felt like I wasn't honoring my commitment. I mean, it was a great, it, it's a great job. Minnesota is a great volleyball program and they're going to continue to be just fine. Not, not to worry, but, um, I just felt for me, uh, you know, Hey, I, I got a, like I was saying, you know, we're not entitled to those tomorrows. We're not guaranteed them. Right. So I just wanted to feel like I was a little more present for them in my todays. Hmm. And, um, the book ended up being this this conduit to what I'm doing now because, you know, last year it, uh, it was coming out. It came out in November, um, but in the middle of the summer, uh, I went to my athletics director Mark Coyle and was like, "Hey, Mark, just so you know, this is this is a thing and it's coming out." And uh, he asked if I would talk him through it, and I did. We spent a few hours going through the book, and um, he he was really impressed and and was like, hey, we could really use this in the department. And um, and then we started having discussions Well, okay, what does that look like? And and here we are. So currently I, I work as a, uh, uh, an a- within the org tra- chat, it's it's listed as an athletics director in charge of coach and sport development. But it's, I, I think the best way to describe it would be more as a, an internal consultant, I guess. Um, you know, I'm not here to tell coaches how to do their job. I'm, I'm just trying to help them to do their job. So it's more, you know, like an advocate, a resource, um, maybe some mentoring with assistant coaches, some other bits and pieces like that. Right. Um, I also do a little bit of work with some student athletes, um, you know, present to different teams, but, but also helping different athletes with um, some of the perspective around performance and competition. Um, and then working quite a bit with uh, administration in terms of, um, you know, they, they have strategic intent. So how do we, how do we uh, implement that? How do we, how do we get that going? And so it's kind of uh, this, this connector, I guess. You've that, kind of that, created that, a new uh, role, right? Mm, like yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's been quite interesting, but, but really stimulating to be able to, uh, especially based on the book, you know, apply the, some of the stuff to, to these different sports. And the book has also afforded me some nice space between like, Hey, it's not, me having had uh, relative success as a coach coming in here telling you like, Hey, I used to do it this way. So this is the way you should do it. I can basically say, Hey, here's the science and yes, you get to decide, but here's some different ways of looking at it. So it gives me some really good objectivity in a space that could become quite subjective if I didn't have that. Hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's hmm. a mark of an innovator, right? I mean, like the fact that your athletic director saw the yeah. read this book and said like wow we need you to affect more lives here because that could have gone the other way right <laughs> you could have not liked what you wrote and then kind of yeah yeah, yeah sure <laughs> yeah the wrong and, uh, and in yeah, a way yeah. you're almost you're almost affecting or 
arguably are affecting more athletes and more sports, right? And that's well, yeah, that's what I was hoping is that perhaps I could have a a greater sphere of influence um, because I believe strongly in the in the messaging. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know it's important, but uh, within that, I also have. Um, uh, some extra bandwidth now that I, I, I didn't used to have, uh, you know, my nights are my nights, my weekends are my weekends, but, um, I'm also doing quite a bit of consulting with the, um, with the international volleyball federation, which has really been great to keep my hand in, in that space, um, and, wow. and help them. So, so, uh, I just feel extremely fortunate, uh, as I, as I tell people in a, in a profession where generally you're you're hired to be fired, it's nice to have an alternative. <laughs> no, I think I think that uh, before That's I know awesome. you, we probably have about uh, 10, 12 minutes left. Is that good with you in terms of your schedule? Yeah, today? yeah. no problem. I just want yep. people to know that it's because of you that we're kicking you off. Not <laughs> no, because no, yeah, of us. I'm, I'm the problem. Like, we don't you're want. Right, yeah, we don't right. want people to say these idiots had Hugh McCutcheon and they said bye. <laughs> what the heck? Anyway, uh, I did want to touch on the word trust, Hugh, because I think that you in the book it c- keeps on coming up, and I think that. Mm. more coaches need to understand the the value of trust and the trust that you want your players to have in you. And I specifically loved, almost made me a little teary-eyed uh, reading what what, he, uh, what Lloyd Ball said to you with regard to, because mm. I, I related to this a little bit too, because I, like you, I imagine, I, I never wanted to coach my kids. When they started playing, we ran an organization that taught little kids uh, volleyball and stuff like that. And I always said to my kids, you know what? We had other coaches to look after them because of what you said. I didn't want my kids to confuse love with uh, dad's love with the sport. Uh, and it was always right. their thing, not my thing. That's sort of what I always yep. uh, like to tell them. Uh, so when Loy said that he was coached by his father and that he had trouble trusting other coaches, mm. but he trusted you. I, You want to talk a little bit about that word trust and maybe, maybe bring mm. up Loy's story if you want to? Well, yeah, I, I will. Before we get to that, you know, what you're talking about with your kids is real. One of the things that, um, that, uh, that I ask our kids when we're coming home from a sporting event is, uh, do you want the, do you want the dad hat or the coach hat? <laughs> yes. And, and if they're like, Hey, you know, the coach hat. And I was like, okay, what about this? Have you thought about that? And if it's the dad hat, then cool. Yeah. I love you and way to work hard. Um, but I think that's a nice framework for maybe all parents to think about the way they want to choose to talk to their kids after or, or even during, um, you know, sporting events, but, but to this idea of trust, right? So in the book, I talk about three different types of trust. One is trust yourself. Uh, two is trust, uh, your teammates. And then, and then lastly, trust your coaches and, uh, you know, for, for coaches to Mm. develop trust with, with athletes, they've got to be trustworthy. And, and that's, that's a discussion between you and you as the coach, right? I mean, are you a, a person of character and integrity? You say what you do and do what you say. Uh, I think consistency is really important. Mm-hmm. Are you a, a credible source of knowledge and information? Do you have genuine care and concern for the people that you work with? Um, you know, all of that stuff. Loy, uh, my relationship with Loy is, is, uh, is really uh, special to me um, in, in that, you know, I think here's a guy that was incredibly talented. And I think for large parts of his career, maybe was, I don't know if misunderstood, but, but maybe wasn't, uh, maybe he wasn't allowed to frame or, or play to his strengths. How about that? I think, mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people were trying to plug him into a thing that they wanted him to be. Um, really for me, all I wanted him to be was the best version of himself and, and find ways for him to express that in a way that felt authentic and that worked within the team structure. 
but I wasn't trying to turn him into anything other than him. And um, hmm. so to that end, uh, we had lots of really good, but honest and direct conversations about how that could happen. And, um, and it, even engaging in those kinds of conversations takes a significant amount of trust. But you got to remember, I, I, I played against Loy back in the day. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, so there wasn't a huge age difference. So it was like we had that whole thing, which ended up being a strength, I think, as and we had this, this commonality and we had, we had some mutual respect in lots of different ways. But I think, and, and maybe you need to talk to him more, but, but I think also there was some understanding and empathy. Like I, I could maybe relate right. in ways that, that maybe different people couldn't have. So all that being said, um, he was phenomenal. And, and I'm so glad I got to work with him in, in 2000, 2008. He was a, obviously a huge part of our success, but I, you know, at the end of it, uh, I, I felt, you know, he was able to, to, to not only reach his potential, but to show, just how how good he had become at the at the skill at at the at the the craft of setting, and and display that on on the biggest stage in the world. Um, I was just so happy for him. And, and the fact that you were able to bring that out, I think after like that was his fourth Olympics, fourth. Uh, yeah, yeah, wow. that's unbelievable. Like it's a, a testament. Well, to and I'd too. say we. You know, yes, I, I know. I, 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 I yes. wasn't Geppetto pulling the yeah, strings. Yeah, sorry. But, I but, I, I know you'd hate. <laughs> oh no no! I didn't mean it like that. I, yeah, I just. I think with with any of these, with all of those stories, there's at least stories. I mean, the, the athletes are saying, "Hey, here's you know," but they're the ones that had to do the work. I was just trying to help them, maybe guide them a little bit. Yeah, um, just show them the way. But yeah. it's beautiful because that that was sort of like you sort of stepped out of the way a little bit and just took the pressure off him in a lot of ways. Like, remember, I think you didn't make him the captain, uh, which was fast, yeah, that's fast, right. Fascinating yeah. move yeah. and a brilliant move, and that one that he probably didn't expect to have the impact that it did, but it, it, and that, I think that what that does, that helps create trust, mm-hmm. right? When coaches worry about players and, and make those calls that maybe mm-hmm. the player might not see in the short term, but he kudos to him for being uh, wise enough, experienced yeah. enough to see. He that was story. awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we got him, I we got more of Loy as a leader, as a, as a positive influence within the team by not being a captain than I think we ever would have having him with a with the bar on his on his jersey. Interesting, eh? and and Tommy Hoff was phenomenal. Tommy was yeah. great uh, in that role as well. So anyway, it all worked out. Yeah, yeah and and you, I know we're coming up on the end, Eric. We have uh, like six minutes left. Do you have a question you want to ask this guy? Because like he's very he's. <sighs> This is a gem here. We can't let this go. Oh, away. man. Uh, I just love hearing these stories. But um, no, I don't have a question. I just, you know, like the the expression, don't get angry, get better. And uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I love your Olympic yeah. quote. What's your what's your great line about the Olympics? You came, uh, did you... four years to be good for two weeks to hope to be good for the last two hours. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. so good. That's yeah. That, yeah. I, I, when, yeah. you, when you first when I heard that in your TED talk, TEDx talk, I was like, that, did he write that? Because that was really good. That <laughs> yeah. so sums it up, eh? I, I do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I also like the, uh, you know, let's not be be curious, don't be furious. You know, the, yes. there's so much um, around that as to, you know, this idea of emotional control, which is also ended up being a considerable theme in the book. Um, because, you know, going back to, as, as Ravi, Ken, Ken Revis would say, if you can control yourself, you can control your performance. And mm-hmm. I think we tend to underestimate the power of self-control uh, and emotional control. I think that, that idea that we can separate our emotions from our actions is, is a really important part of being able to achieve. 
And uh, you, anyway, I did. We did yeah. send we did send you four questions that we end shows with, but I'm gonna name I'm gonna narrow it down to one because your time is valuable. So is that okay with you? Unless you have yeah, no you problem. Did, and didn't. listen, I just offer this too. We'll do this, and 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 if you go back, you're like, hey, that's cool. We've got a little more. We could do another time. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. That means you yeah. had a good time, yeah, I guess, yeah. right? That means that, <laughs> yeah. that means you like us. No, it's all good. It's easy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Can we get no, a no. quote of you We're... saying that you like us? <laughs> you want the sound <laughs> that'll, that'll be the sound bite. No, um, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, we'll see what we can do there. My father never loved me, so no, I'm just kidding. Um, the uh, the the one question we'll wrap this up for you is: if you could have one phrase, because I think this is important for someone like you, if you could have mm-hmm. one phrase on the back of every youth volleyball jersey uh around the world or let's say u.s canada north america mm. uh what would it be what message well, for we- youth volleyball the, the 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 t-shirt slogan would be uh volleyball is what i do it's not who i am and i think for our athletes and for our parents as we've been talking the ability to separate their persona as a volleyball athlete from their person as you know little Susie or Tommy or whoever it is um I think that's huge because so often our athletes especially but but we've talked about this idea of parent parental uh involvement in this um they become defined by their athletic abilities and outcomes and I think it ultimately does them um you know some disservice moving forward relative to you know, when sports done and they actually have to get on with adulting. So, um, yeah, volleyball is what I do. It's not who I am. That's what I'd be I love that. Yeah, that's that is a beautiful place to end. And Hugh, I'm not going to mention your gold medal as an Olympic coach. I'm not going to mention your <laughs> silver medal as an Olympic coach because that would that would be telling people the wrong idea about why we're here and why we do these sports, right, especially at youth ages. But I am going to say that you are a gold medal dad. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, cause I've seen that <laughs> to be determined. Well, throughout your career, right? Like, I mean, you stepped away from some pretty major things, uh, for your kids and that, that if that, if nothing else, people should understand perspective there in what matters in this sport. Like you could have been in the national program for years. You probably could have been there, uh, for the gold medal win on the women's side, uh, later on. And, uh, you chose your kids and family and you're doing it again. Uh, and look, it's funny how your impact is growing uh, the more you make that that right choice. Talk about how we started. You know, you talked about what winning means and what winning looks like. It actually is about making the right choices. That leads to the best results anyway. You know, mm. these people just want to win. Well, I appreciate that. And and maybe just the last thought on winning is, you know, and I, and I again, I say this in the book, but if, if it's all about winning then and outcomes, then listen, if we play in an average league, then to win it, you've just got to be a little bit better than right. average. And mm-hmm. I don't think any right. of us have signed up for the pursuit of a little bit better than average. <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound like a great life endeavor, but the idea of trying to become the best version of ourselves, trying to do the most we can with um, with the life that we have, that that's a whole different pursuit. So, um, you know, hmm. let's just try and be the best we can and see what happens. We're good enough or not, but it, at least we know we did our best. Amen to that. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to wrap it up, Hugh. Uh, well, can't actually, thank you if enough. You're, oh. if, if you're interested in getting back into coaching, me and my beach partner, <laughs> yeah. we could use some help. So. <laughs> I'm sure. All right, send us some yeah. video. I'll, yeah. give you, I'll give you some feedback. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll ditch your kids for some 36-year-old guy. Uh, no, Hugh, uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's, yeah, uh, it's so awesome, awesome to have you. We are happy to have you be our first 
real remote guest uh, and uh, we're talking with other people in a long line and hopefully you can help us connect with some other people to spread the the message that you know has been has a track record at least we can put it that way yeah i know i love it keep up the good work you guys and thanks for having me thank you sir talk (laughs) soon okay cheers cheers What's the big idea?